0: This Week in Sleaze, with your hosts, the great lord, Joshua Riegel, and Sleazy K.
1: This podcast has been rated category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking abortion, which the real world is talking about a lot at the time of recording, but in the podcast movie reviewing world we'll take a look back on Fruit Chan's 2004 movie Dumplings. A couple of sex scenes, but no nudity. Chan's dark and sly horror movie has other trains of thoughts and commentary of its own. Eating aborted babies to stay young, vital and happy. But that obsession means these events go off the rails. And that happens in Dumplings and more in the second half of from that movie and from the director of Made in Hong Kong. But in the first half, Joan Chen's totally nude in Temptation of a Monk, and I've now cheapened acclaimed director Clara Law's final Hong Kong film at the time before heading to Australia. But uh, it's a way to lure your listeners in, I suppose. My name is Lisa Kay, and with me, watching proper real films this episode, but they are worthy of the Category 3. Nonetheless, it's the great Lord uh, Joshua Regal, and uh, you know where uh, we've—he's uh, he, now a family man, but he's uh, done the—the—the uh, the, 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 the thing that I get—I uh, get a bit uh, bad conscience about this. He shoved his family out of the way, the podcast, and I'm like, don't worry about it, don't worry about them. You can talk Charlie Show all you like with your family. Did not need to. Um, to lock them out, lock them out of the house.
0: Threw the baby right at my wife. I said, "Nah, no. I want to talk about aborted fetuses."
1: Wait, what? <laughs> Close.
0: <laughs> Jesus.
1: And it's a you know, it's a, uh, it's not a che- so cheap and uh, rotten sort of immoral film. It's a proper award-winning film that that uh, at the time mm-hmm. of recording. Uh, uh, at the t- time of release really uh, probably turned some stomachs and, uh, yeah. and uh, probably for, for people who followed Fruit Chan this wasn't the expected route that uh, from uh, Made in Hong Kong and sort of Hong Kong's indie king to that movie, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll certainly get to uh, to that. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk um, a 1993 movie, "Temptation of a Monk." It's called, uh, and uh, we're going to do that uh, right after some brief contact information. And is is this week in Sleece, episode 58? Uh, we are in the tidy whitey theater, really, and uh, we've picked uh, two random movies, but they have connected connective tissue nonetheless. And uh, this week in Sleece has a back catalogue of plenty of episode 50. Well. 57 prior episodes on a variety of uh, sleazy adult Hong Kong Taiwanese uh, movies. Uh, it's located on podcastonfire.com. Uh, movies that are actually immoral, we have there in the archive. Movies like Lan Kui Fong Swingers that used you know, the framework of a real-life New Year's Eve stampede as an excuse to make a silly little sex movie. As you remember, Joshua, that's the actual sort of immoral part of the uh, movies uh, we've uh, picked for uh, for review here in uh, uh, here in the Tidy Whitey Theater. So Dumplings is uh, far removed from that, but uh, you'll yeah. certainly find a back catalog of stuffs over there in the archive on podcastonfire.com. If you have any questions or uh, views on "Temptation of a Monk" or dumplings, I'm sure you've seen dumplings. Uh, I mean, I I, I got to ask you that. Did you um uh, happen upon that uh, when it was out there? Did you rent it from like Netflix when you picked up Free Extremes? Because I'm sure you had an interest in like Takashimike because he did a short in Free Extremes. So, what was your history with dumplings, if you, if any history?
0: You know, this was a first-time completion, I guess. I had uh, actually picked up, uh, I know Three Extremes for sure. I can't remember if I got the full film, but Three Extremes I had, but I never got around to finishing it. I started it, saw some uh, little fetuses being eaten, and some reason had to stop it for one reason or another. Not and today. I just never. <laughs> like, you know what? I'm not in a fetus-eating mood. Hmm. But eventually, you know, I was like, I'm going to come back to it, you know. I've got to complete everything. Up At that point, it was complete everything Takashi Mike, but I've slowed down in recent years.
1: But um, Do you remember his short uh, Box, he was called? Um, I watched it fairly recently, and it's one of those, I don't understand anything, but I like <laughs> what uh, atmosphere he is putting, uh, putting before us and what images he's putting before us. It's not wild Takashi-make uh, where he's just uh, oh, completely insane. It's sort mm-hmm. of, oh, what I what did it mean then? I don't know. But uh, those are Siamese twins.
0: I don't think I ever got around to seeing it. I think the first short on there was Dumplings. Um,
1: yeah, the order might have change, been changed around. I, I only remember it being lost in uh, in, in on, on the Hong Kong DVD. It's like box, then Park Chan cut, the South, South Korean one, and then dumplings ended uh, ended it. But uh, there's no need for a sequence uh, a, a sequence uh, like that because they're not uh, connected as such. But. Uh, 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 but certainly you were aware of um, of uh, dumplings and uh, and the uh, project at the time, so we'll get back to that. If you have any questions or feedback, as I said, uh, l- let us know. Uh, Podcast on fire at googlemail.com Let us know if you saw dumplings back in the day, or even Temptation of a Monk yeah, because I'm sure there are some fans of it out there. Follow us on social media, hit, hit us up on Facebook, Hit uh, click the Facebook button at the top of our page. Uh, you'll uh, be linked to our page. Join the discussion group to uh, discuss the ever-so-lovely uh, dumplings uh, with us and uh, screen cap uh, screen cap it for in the screen cap frenzy fred and um, watch people be grossed out <laughs> by when you screen cap uh, dumplings so it's one of those it's rather it's gross as hell but it's rather beautiful rather beautiful <laughs> you know christopher doyle can shoot a fetus <laughs> <laughs> he sure can shoot a fetus
0: I mean, I heard he likes him young, but this is getting fucking ridiculous. Ouch. Jeez.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mad- Madman Chris Doyle at the helm there. So. Uh, but uh, regardless, follow us on Twitter and you can also stream us on Stitcher Radio and Spotify. Find us on, and review us on Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff and we also uh, would like to throw a shout out uh, to shelf life uh, clothing they pop up on our radar every now and again uh, because uh, the t-shirt line is uh, always uh, a nice brand to have out there so sometimes a news outlet pick up uh, once again the story of the brian kirby caucasians baseball t-shirt there is a parody of uh, a baseball team logo and it happens every few years that uh, th- that story pops up in like uh, popular culture, so um, uh, Brian tapped into something there, satire wise, and uh, he 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 it so. Check it out. Uh, but uh, regardless, let's uh, sort of get into it. Uh, we, we have a, a little bit of a big show here. It, it's, it's nice and breezy here in the Tidy Whitey uh, Theater because we've aired it out. Uh, we haven't been there for a while, so we decided to air it out. But uh, we, we do have some sections, uh, Joshua X. Uh, you know, we're not just going to sit through The reviews and talk of uh, boring sex shot in uh, boring rooms uh, this time around. We're talking proper movies and also some background. And in the first half it is Temptation of a Monk. And we're going to take you through a little bit uh, the career of our female director at hand here, Clara Law. It's probably the first time we've had a female director as the topic of, uh, of one of these movies. Unless one of those movies that was directed by uh, that only had like uh, one credit connected to the to the director. Maybe a female director hid behind some of those names. Who knows? Maybe a female director did. Lan Kwai fong swingers, Joshua. We don't know.
0: We have our doubts. But, yeah. <laughs> but you never know. A
1: woman would have made a level-headed decision and not make that movie. <laughs> These were guys, and these guys went to Charlie Cho, and uh, the rest is uh, cinema history. I'm still surprised, Joshua, that they didn't make five of those. Because uh, it seems like such an easy, well, they did it, so can we. We can set this at another bar (laughs) with more characters, you know. But you you would have been up for it, right?
0: I mean, other than good taste, why not?
1: Well, the bar has been set, by the way.
0: The bar... (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Totally meant it. Totally meant it. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, we, we'll get we'll get into it. We're going to talk Clara Lord, then we'll review the movie itself. Then we, then there will be a break, and then we'll share some background notes on dumplings, and it's part of the mentioned omnibus project three and we'll briefly talk uh, director fruit chan as well Can, I, I might as well just spontaneously ask you did you ever encounter a movie like on netflix because uh, you uh, might be browsing like simon yam or whatever a movie like uh, called the midnight after you remember if you ever like stopped on that hmm what is this it's a hong kong movie about a, a bus of some sort do you remember that
0: no it sounds familiar though
1: It's a wonderfully sort of weird type uh, movie. Uh, Essentially, you know, a a bunch of characters on a bus, they drive into a tunnel. Then when they drive out of the tunnel, like Hong Kong is deserted and everything is really weird. And then Mm. you spend two hours finding out uh, what the heck possibly is happening. It's a really cool Creative movie from Fruit Champ, the director of Dumplings. So um, if you can find it still on your US Netflix, because it was a well go title, then it's worth looking into. And Simon Yan plays uh, more of a sort of loud mouth triad heavy of sorts. So you know he's very, Simon is very broad in in that one. So.
0: So wonderful,
1: We're, worth uh, checking uh, checking out. But uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, we'll, we'll take a musical break first, so you hear a little bit of Tats Lao's percussion-like score from "Temptation of a Monk," and then uh, we'll review that very movie. Welcome back! In the first movie up for review in this um, very very classy, tidy, Whitey theater episode, <laughs> we're talking award-winning movie in this uh, in this uh, awful theater house. But uh, we're going to talk "Temptation of a Monk" from 1993, and plot from my review of the film: 7th century China in the Tang Dynasty. That's our setting. General Chi Yan Cheng, played by Wu. Xing Kuo, gets tricked into letting his guard down and the crown prince is brutally murdered by his, uh, his uh, brothers or his, uh, or his um, enemies. Uh, said, uh, setting him up and subsequently taking the emperor's throne is General Hu Da, played by Shang Feng Yi, the third lead in Farewell, My Concubine. Uh, general Xi leaves uh, with some of his fellow warriors to seek refuge at a monastery while they plot their next move. And uh, they're not uh, practicing Buddhism as instructed, most of them. But our general at hand, our lead, Xi, is the one who wanders between different sort of loca- locales uh, phys- uh, psychologically uh, because he's had his dream world collapse, but now he deeps uh, does like a deep dive into Buddhist teachings so it's a it's a blood bloody movie erotic movie and introspective movie Uh, since we have a fairly big bio here I'm, I'm I'm gonna change things around a little bit because I am kind of curious to, hear, to, to actually hear a brief take on the movie first of all Joshua and then we'll uh, get back, uh, we'll, we'll do the background and then we'll get back to the review because I'm sure this is a first time watch for you so in uh-huh. Temptation of a Monk I, I know you're you a very open minded uh, movie viewer you can analyze movies with the best of them even though those movies might be Rape 13th Hour or the <laughs> movies might be the David Lynch uh, uh, David Lynch stuff D- this is neither of those but uh, regardless, uh, in, in short uh, w- what did you think of it? Clara Law's Temptation of a Monk.
0: A very uh, beautiful film. Very well put together. A nice introspective piece kind of about forgiveness, about, you know, dealing with one's past. Just typical stuff we cover here on the show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, with no recognizable uh, category three faces uh, as such. The, 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 this is...
0: Had Josie Packard in it, though. Mm-hmm.
1: Joan Chen... Um... Clearly, there in the nude, no body double at all. So uh, this is like um, she she'd done her run on Twin Peaks by that point because she uh, she was in like season and a half, I suppose, uh, of Twin Peaks. So that would be would have been across eighty nine, ninety, ninety one, possibly. I don't know when the second season aired, to be honest. But uh, but yeah. How do you think they
0: got her out of that knob uh, nah, on the little bedside table in order to film her scenes?
1: Was that the uh, where she was stuck?
0: Oh, yeah, you don't remember that. Well, yeah. I remember
1: her be she she died on a bed spoilers, but uh, but uh, I didn't know she was stuck in a knob. <laughs>
0: well, don't. that was the last shot of her. There's like a the camera zooms in on like the handle of a bedside table, I think somewhere in the the uh, whatever the hotel or whatever, and then her face appears on it, and she screams, and that's that's the last time. We ever see Josie oh, okay. Baker?
1: I thought the last image was like you see Bob for a while, and then you see her limp body, and then Sheriff Truman. No, 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 and then okay, okay. Lots of imagery to uh, to uh, to remember. But uh, indeed, she she um, she's like the first actor we see in *Twin Peaks* for heaven's sake. It's the first shot where she's looking in uh, looking in the mirror, doing her makeup. You know. So. Oh yeah, yeah, true. Uh, for uh, as for my short opinion, and then uh, we'll do a, a breakdown of Clara Law because. Um, she's really an, an accomplished director but the uh, temptation of a monk it has the appearance of uh, a period costume drama war epic and that's a sometimes a red flag for me and uh, but but it's probably more cruel in terms of bloodshed versus uh, most of those movies uh, but um, after all the said and done i don't think her movie is very complex uh, despite the historical plot and the double crosses and it gets really uh, internalized in a in a Interesting way and a very appealing way as that character reaches the confines of the temple and finds Buddhism and really hypnotic and atmospheric uh, as a movie and that journey is involving uh, you know trying to find inner peace but can you because it's almost that you know if you leave that world will you be pulled back in in into that world and uh, and conflicts and bloodshed and people out for um, out for your uh, out for your head essentially. It is erotically charged when um, when warranted and quite stunningly. So, so but it isn't reliant on uh, category free stuff all the time. I mean, when you watched it, I'll get back to Clara Law, but I, I lost this. When you watched it, was this? Was this sort of, you know, did, did you have to remind yourself? Oh, oh yeah, this was an adult-rated movie, or or, or that sort of or, or that sort of left your mind as you started watching it. That this is a movie, rather than like it's bread and butter, is category free.
0: Well, I kind of got the feeling shortly into the film, like oh, this is this is more of an uh, art house fair rather than uh, just simple simple uh, cheap stuff, but there there's enough bloodshed in here i was like oh okay well this is probably one of the reasons why we're watching this enough decapitated heads and whatnot
1: perhaps the reason it uh, really got its adults only rating first and foremost for for violence mm-hmm. because uh, some of it is quite uh, brutal but uh, it is directed by what's a bit of the second wave director clara law and uh, she that could be said to be a cluster of directors emerging on the Hong Kong scene at the end of the eighties uh, and heading into the nineties, and major figures in that way would include Stanley Kwan, the, the director of Rouge, Wong Kar Wai, uh, Mabel Cheung of an Autumn's Tale fame, and uh, Clara would uh, concern herself with uh, concern herself with pessimistic themes such as the financial crisis in the in the light of the 1997 handover, uh, immigration issues. Uh, but she also made. Uh, modern-day supernatural tales um, in the wake of the success of A Chinese Ghost Story and also uh, logged a sweet coming-of-age story before making her Hong Kong Farewell movie at at that time because she did return in the form of Temptation of a Monk and then she emigrated to Australia and had a distinguished filmmaking career Down Under as well. And we'll get to that. Uh, she was born in Macau in 1957 and studied English literature at the University of Hong Kong and uh, jumped onto media as an assistant uh, producer and director at Radio Television Hong Kong in 1978. And she got a hands-on course in uh, TV screenwriting as well and directing. And she helmed 12 drama programs for RTHK uh, but uh, decided to further her film Education Abroad instead of jumping into film using this experience, which Sometimes could be valid, but uh, it's a good instinct to uh, further your education as well. And uh, she studied uh, at the National Film and Television School in England. And she won the Silver Plaque Award at the Chicago Film Festival for her 1985 graduation film, They Say, The Moon Is Full Here. Which I don't know was a feature or not, but it certainly wasn't something that came out. um, But because... um, it uh, it was really stored as such and uh, wasn't part of special features on DVDs of her movies. But she returned to Hong Kong and made her actual feature debut with the movie The Other Half and The Other Half, which covered uh, the themes again of emigration, economy and the handover. And it was scripted by her real-life partner, Eddie Fong. I mentioned Mabel Chung and she also has a, both a life partner and a creative partner at the same time in the form of Alex Law. Alex Law directed the Samo Hong movie Painted Faces if you ever saw that movie, Joshua about uh, the, um, the well, well it's about Sam Hong and Jackie Chan and the likes growing up in the picking Opera School and uh, that, was, uh, that was Alex Law uh, directing that uh, and so he's an acclaimed director just uh, like his life partner and Eddie Fong He's also an acclaimed director. He made the Shaw Brothers Erotica, An Amorous Woman of Tang Dynasty, and also the wild Jackie Chung detective comedy The Private Eye Blues. So they're a creative uh, creative duo and that's always uh, cool uh, to see. And Eddie Fong I believe wrote uh, Temptation of a Monk together with uh, the original author Lillian Lee. Dimension fantasy movie that Clara directed next was called The Reincarnation of Golden Lotus, starring Joey Wong. It was a modern set supernatural tale, but it was clearly um, a result of the popularity of a Chinese ghost story, looking at the casting alone of uh, Joey Wong. And th- this was in uh, 1990, though. Uh, so Sorry, that was 88, I believe. But in 1990, in her third feature, she uh, returned to more... Themes of emigration and this time the hardships of it. Uh, So she threw out any comedy hijinks that was part of her movies before. Because The Other Half and The Other Half, Joshua, was a uh, drama comedy. It it was light. Eric it and things like that. But her next movie in 1990 was a more detailed and harrowing look at the effects of... Uh, immigrants uh, and uh, the desperation uh, as they try to change their lives uh, as they leave Hong Kong uh, for America in this case. Uh, That movie was Farewell China starring Maggie Cheung and Tony Leung Ka-Fai, our uh, lead in uh, Dumplings and uh, a bunch of other movies. Uh, It was set in New York and uh, it was a multi-nominee at the Hong Kong Film Awards including for Best Picture and it won three awards in Taiwan including Best Actor for Tony Leung's performance. Clara really started to gather up uh, acclaim and her direction of actors did as well. And she talked during a panel discussion about the script of uh, Farewell China and it was done before the Tiananmen Square massacre and they had their eye set on New York. But that event and also feelings in the air and in them, I suppose, the the, the issue of uh, the anger and the shame of being Chinese grew as they saw how people were treated uh, at the Tiananmen Square Massacre and it led to quite raw emotion being put into her work. So I, I, I suppose if you ever saw, if you, if you ever see Farewell China, it's very depressing. It's a very uh, dark, dark movie uh, and um, it uh, uh, its fuel was, uh, was shame and anger. I mean, if you think back to a bullet in the head, if you... If you ever saw John Woo's bullet to the head, it's really a big, old, big, old angry response to Tiananmen Square. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. li- very literal in the movie as well. Yeah. So, uh, But the 1991, things uh, brightened up. Uh, she made a movie called uh, Fruit Punch. Uh, she shed the bleakness. And uh, it was a wonderfully sweet and endearing film. It had romance, but also a central plot about young friends starting a lucrative business together. And then in 1992, her movie Autumn Moon took a more artful approach. It had contemplated characters, but also long uninterrupted takes and slow pace. But it was an experimental piece on... Immigration that I thought was successful. It was her first flirt with Category 3, because a few scenes were were featuring fairly graphic sex, but um, it it felt part of the storytelling. And then we come to 1993 and uh, Temptation of a Monk, and uh, it was their last Hong Kong movie at the time, her and her partner, Eddie Fong, before they moved to Australia. And it was co-written by Eddie Fong and Lillian Lee, and uh, Lillian Lee had, if you look into it, uh, both you, Joshua, and the listeners, in terms of her work and just how many of her novels that made it to the screen. You, you'll find quite a few because the prior Clara Law film, The Reincarnation of Golden Lotus, was a Lillian Lee novel. Rouge, that I mentioned, was a Lillian Lee no- novel. Farewell My Concubine, that the uh, third lead in Temptation of a Monk, Sheng Feng Yi. Um, he was in that. That was one of her novels. So really, she... Um, she is uh, uh, quite a uh, classic writer and uh, presence there in the movies. Uh, Temptation of a Monk was shot in lo- in, on location in uh, the north and northwestern part of China. And uh, they were starting to network these two. Clara Law and Eddie Fong. And they started to connect with international casting and crew. Because this involved both Hong Kong, mainland Chinese, Taiwanese cos- uh, cast and crew. But also Australian crew. Notably... Uh, co-cinematographer Andrew Lesney and if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings movies this was the cinematographer for the Lord of the Rings all three of them and he won the Academy Award for um, the Fellowship of the Ring and he was the co-cinematographer on Temptation of a Monk so they've been clearly connected to Australia uh, or even been down there and started a network and they got some, uh, some talent of note to shoot this movie including the editor Jill Bilcock who uh, edited Moulin Rouge Elizabeth and Road to Perdition so really uh, classy stuff uh, all around Temptation of a Monk was ultimately banned in China as uh, her co-production partners, uh, they weren't quite uh, ready for what uh, Clara delivered, so uh, they couldn't escape uh, the wrath of censors. And uh, Clara did say that working with the Chinese crew was difficult uh, because of the co-production financing as well. Believe it or not, this wasn't that well-reviewed at the time. It had some enthusiastic, but also some lukewarm reviews. So it divided um, critics. Uh, but awards-wise, it did well for itself. It uh, won two Hong Kong Film Awards for Best Newcomer. And I went to uh, male lead, Wu Xing Kuo. You might have seen him, uh, if you ever saw the sequel to God of Gamblers, God of Gamblers Return. He's the Taiwanese villain in God of Gamblers Return, who... Uh, Froze. Uh, he's got a cat uh, he's one of those villains that strokes his, ca- uh, his cat, the cat claws him and then he throws the cat out of the window <laughs> because uh, because Wong Jing Joshua, because Wong Jing of, yeah. he's the type of villain also speaking of fetuses, uh, you don't see this on screen, but uh, he or his henchman cuts out giant Fat's uh, uh, wife's unborn baby and places it in a jar to oh, challenge to go. challenge him to gambling again because uh, golf gamblers is retired
0: I've seen it, but it's been years. <laughs> Jesus so,
1: Christ. because Wong Jing, Joshua, but uh, yeah. he's in it. He's in Green Snake, I believe as well. char uh, Green Snake. It also won Best Score by uh, Tats Lau, who's also an actor and comedian. So, you know, composer, actor, comedian. Uh, the art direction was also awarded in Taiwan, and Andrew Lesney received the Mill Cinematographer of the Year Award, uh, uh, handed to him by the Australian Cinematographer Society, uh, two years later in 1995. And as I said, these two uh, moved... Moved away from Hong Kong, possibly fearing and dreading uh, what would happen in 1997 with Hong Kong. So Clara Law and Eddie Fong moved to Australia and continued to produce uh, movies. They made a movie I haven't seen yet, but um, I'm dying to see it. It's called Floating Life, about an aging Hong Kong couple. And their move to Australia with their two youngest sons. That was an award winner. A winner, And it actually qualified for the Taiwanese Golden Horse Awards. Uh, presumably partly because of spoken language uh, and maybe, maybe a co-production aspect was uh, baked in there. Uh, it won uh, Best uh, Original Film Score, was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, Supporting Actress. So, Floating Life really was uh, this, uh, it broke through, and it was also submitted as Australia's official uh, entry for the Best Foreign Language Film for the 1997 Academy Awards, but it wasn't accepted. Uh, the Goddess of 1967 followed in 2000, starring Rose Byrne. Speaking of someone who's just uh, blown up um, ever since uh, her Australian career, now uh, an established movie and TV actress in America. Uh, she, uh, she, was, she was in those uh, Bad Neighbors or Neighbors movies with uh, Seth Rogen, and I don't believe she's done uh, some uh, TV off-note as well. Uh, Insidious, she's in as well, uh, Rose Byrne. Uh, but uh, they, they started to feel in Australia that their creative um, juices weren't flowing that as much uh, as they wanted to, they felt uh, ideas were limiting, limiting themselves. So um, Clara Law and Eddie Fong sought out, you know, prior mentors and tried to go back to the essence of art to find, you know, new instincts and intuition again. And uh, they they made movies sporadically. Uh, Clara Law made a documentary called Letters to Ali in two thousand and four. And uh, then I went sort of back to Hong Kong, but uh, it's more of a Taiwanese movie, I believe. Uh, in 2009, she made a movie called Like a Dream, starring Daniel Wu. And in 2015, uh, they made a movie I don't think that has made quite a splash, but uh, they attempted the mainland market in 2015 with the romance action comedy The Unbearable Lightness of Inspector Fun. And I haven't seen either, so... So, uh, it's easy, Joshua, with so much movies coming out of the mainland... That uh, you you simply miss movies, and you sort of realize, oh, a director I liked twenty years ago is now working <laughs> there, and we don't know anything what's going on anymore. <laughs> so uh, it's a it's a packed uh, career, Joshua. And uh, it, uh, I, I think, uh, if you ever had time to examine this, you you would, I think, appreciate that no Clara Law movie is the same. The, the, despite having one big depressing one in the case of Farewell China, it's uh, not. Um, her sort of bread and butter to just depress us through and through every movie you know
0: just most of them
1: yeah just, just most, most of, of them, them. <laughs> <laughs> the, this one is more um we, we, would you say temptation of a Monk" is uh, it might sound like a jokey question but the, do do you think it's a positive film considering it's introspective or um you know uh, because it because it does that for real it, it tries to um Change uh, change settings for a character mentally and physically, and uh, that character finds something completely different than you thought was going to be the sort of thread of the movie. Because I don't know about you, period movies and costume epics that are set on the battlefield during specific points in history—that's not an easy in for me in terms of movies.
0: I think that it's a it's a it has a positive message. I think by the end of it, but you go through a lot of hell to get there. You know, there's a lot of bloodshed, a lot of innocent characters being brutalized, so it's got its ups and downs, I'd say.
1: How are you in terms of that uh, when you, regardless of when when a sort of period costume epic is uh, made, uh, how are you in terms of that when you see a Chinese costume epic? Is that a difficult in for you to relate to, or you just let the movie wash over you and whatever happens, happens?
0: Uh, no, I'm with you in the fact that it's like it's not always my you know bread and butter, not always my wheelhouse, but I usually give anything kind of a give it a go and see how it is. You know, by the time the blood starts flowing in this film, it's like okay, well, it has enough to keep me interested. Obviously, uh, we got one.
1: <laughs> I got blood. We got one. But but it has a it's not a bright and um, sparkling uh, epic as such because it has very dusty and cold and pale look as a movie. The characters are made up in a very distinct way. It it looks like. Uh, Wu quo and Shang Yi they are, they have a cake of makeup on, uh, mm-hmm. like a really distinct eyeshadow and things like that. And, yeah. and and also the entire screen looks like it's covered in dust at some points, and, yeah. and the buildings are—you know—they—they uh, uh, they are camouflaged because uh, the movie is so uh, dusty. We, we, we which I thought that added atmosphere to uh, to the movie, so it wasn't this sort of uh, slick time, you know. But you know the movie's
0: kind of it's contemporary, isn't it? Because I thought the Tang Dynasty started in 1993 with the release of Enter the Wu-Tang, uh, the 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan.
1: If you say it on a podcast, it must be true.
0: So this is contemporary. This is what uh, you know China looked like in 1993.
1: Well, well, it's yeah, I it did, because they, they shot in China in 1993. But, but, yeah, there are some added structures, but the dust you can't control all the time, I suppose. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... A, you, you wonder, because it's it looks it so... Is. yeah It yeah, you, you looks so... There the, is a shot where the camera is so far away, and all all you see is dust, some specks that are the characters, and then huge buildings that just are drowned out in the dust. So you wonder, that can't be, have been created. You, they just rode through stormy conditions and just hold on for dear life you know and hope your horse finds its target. essentially
0: film has like a, uh earth tones you know that kind of covers everything orange brown the there's even you know the color correction on the film is very orange very brown at most times you know except for when it you know deviates to like a blue or something along those
1: lines Oh, for sure and uh, that, that means andrew is uh putting forth, um, you know, uh, not just effort, but he's uh, he, he gets a um, cinematographer's workout for sure because um, mm-hmm. th- there are distinct uh, color tones here. But the, those uh, violent scenes, um, they're not shot as chaotic scenes as such where we have a lot of shaky cam and, and, and like horses falling over. It's, it's not like a Braveheart type of battle scene, right? Uh, the, uh, Clara is going for more... Um, quiet atmospheric violence if you remember the uh, that uh, that sort of assassination attempt and that uh, betrayal and that uh, deception that the general walks into
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and then uh, Clara really singly, singles out the, the violence becomes cruel to me because the, sta- the stabbings and the throat slashes plus all you hear is this percussion score and the harsh vocalizing it might not be different violence, Joshua, but uh, it's certainly it, it, it's atmospheric, and it makes you sit yeah. there and almost go, "It's death and it's sort of cruel." And uh, the, you know, there's huge blood splat- splatters coming out of these uh, these uh, wo- wounds and stuff. So, any particular thoughts on that? If that was that atmospheric uh, for you to see uh, to see the violence slow down that much uh, uh, and and be so cruel?
0: yeah and we mentioned like the uh we were talking off uh off microphone yes
1: these are microphones yes
0: <laughs> we talked about like ambient music we were making some jokes but you know very ambient soundtrack during those particular scenes to kind of like capture like uh, the internal chaos and like just the chaos of the scene really really spectacular and it really brings the violence home to you where it's like, you know, it, it's shocking to a degree because you're thinking you're watching just a, a, you know, kind of not fantasy epic, but like a historical epic. You think that's what you're you're in for, and it's like, wow, this is this violence, this gruesome violence, is not what I was expecting from this.
1: Especially because we've had cur- we've had a courteous or sort of chess sequence before. Mm-hmm. Everything's been very courteous and verbal. Yeah. Uh, which is a nice setup because um, right. they're, they're, okay granted the only negative I sort of have against the movie because I just like the actor so much uh, Shang Feng Yi who is uh, by all intents and purposes uh, the villain of this piece such a big and intimidating actor but just an excellent actor obviously Farewell My Concubine he, he was great in that with Gong Li and Leslie Cheung but he's in a couple of Hong Kong movies and other Taiwanese movies always playing villains with gusto and you see elements of this here when he does appear later in the movie, but uh, it's uh he's effective when he's, uh, when he's on screen here. The lack of clarity in terms of where Joan Chen's character where, where she fits in and what her development is going to be about. it's purposeful, but it was the only thing I thought I'd missed. You know what I mean? Because she's introduced, I believe, as a princess. So uh, obviously she commands people and people should should worship and obey her. Essentially, there's a pecking order. But it was the only thing until the late stages of the movie, which actually are spoiler territory, that that, uh, made me feel, did I miss something? Because I'm not sure I got a handle on where she fits in. Where she's going, why she left, or why she's later on appears to have taken on the job as a prostitute or a dancer or something.
0: You know, she plays different characters, right?
1: I didn't get that impression that she did. To be honest,
0: yeah. Uh, one's what are the names? One's named Scarlet. One, they they all have like uh, color names, uh, Scarlet and.
1: Well, well, you're right about that. So, so you mean the the, the sort of da- the character that she, he finds Wu quo finds in the village uh, that he dances with, that that's a different character versus the princess. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, like
0: there's a princess in the beginning, and then there's Violet. I think Violet is, well, not to spoil anything, but the one who uh, turns on him at the end, that's Violet. It's another woman who looks identical, obviously, to the one that he had developed uh, a feeling for earlier. Right. I believe... I believe the princess was the same one from the very beginning that that both the generals meet out in the field or whatever. And then when he breaks away, leaves his mother's house and everything, and they go live in the monastery. I believe that's the same princess that meets up with him. The movie does does, if there's a weakness to it, but I'm sure that it's intentional. It's that these things are never directly spoken of or anything like that. So it's never really, really clear, you know. I had the same issue until like later. I was looking. It's like, oh wait, yeah, Scarlet and Violet. Okay, she does play two people.
1: Granted, despite us watching this on a laser disc and it's the cinema print, they really seem to have made an effort in the subtitle Mm -hmm. uh, department too. Because we they're gonna screen this movie elsewhere. It's the kind of movie that gets on festivals, so we can't make asses of ourselves by having like, come on, let's make happy subtitles. (laughs) <laughs> running rampant in this movie it seems like uh may- maybe it came from the filmmaking team uh, the core filmmaking team that this needs to be good i was educated abroad so i can help out to at least make it grammatically correct you know mm-hmm. these subtitles before you shoot it out into cinemas and uh, it-, it shows because uh you you can follow it for one <laughs> you know was that a cool thing to all of a sudden like Think to yourself, "Wow, Joan Chen! A few years earlier in Twin Peaks, now in a Chinese movie—like, how crazy is this? This global career." Or what's the sort of feeling to uh, you get seeing Joan Chen here acting in Mandarin, obviously, and in a in a big uh, another big project, if you will. If you have any thoughts on that,
0: I still was just blown away how they got her out of that drawer.
1: <laughs> let, let me tell you, Ken, I can't stop repeating myself in terms of how. Oh, you're asking for, like, logic coming from a Lynch universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the reason she's out of the drawing, out of the cupboard and into the Chinese movie, she took a balloon.
0: <laughs> you know, I uh, I shouldn't go into this because it can turn into a tangent. But, you know, that's one thing that's always entertained me about Twin Peaks is, like, I remember when I... A- 1996, 97 getting on the internet and learning about Twin Peaks. I didn't see it during its original run, watching the show and then going online and just seeing like all these geo cities and uh pages and stuff like that with people writing dissertations about what, you know, what is the the blue ring or the green ring or whatever it was? What does this mean? You know, what what do the owls represent? What is this, you know, how did this happen between firewalk with me and the second season how does this correlate
1: don't put this down by the way because you've developed into the same type of person i have, I have. you've made videos about this so don't put down I not this made the video yet. i have not well, did, well did, didn't you put up a thing on the youtube when the new twin Peaks started uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah but that actually turned out to be intentional or whatever anyway but but I have written, like, a 3,000-word or 4,000-word thing with my frustrations with Twin Peaks Season 3, which I still haven't made into a video or anything like that, which will take a lifetime, and everybody will hate it because everybody seemed to love the third season.
1: Oh, no, that's not the impression I got. Uh, people turned on that season quick.
0: I really do, because, like, is it... Because I think... I feel like I'm the only one that shits on it. I really do. I feel like, like... Uh, everything i read is always positive
1: about it joan joan shen like her transition i mean i i can sort of sometimes think that's cool when because actors and actresses when they are bilingual and obviously uh, she came from china and went to america that opens up her ability to work everywhere and she has and she's directed a movie or two as well so but i always found that cool when people can uh, travel the world and uh naturally slide into, so to say, other people's cinema. So that's why seeing Joan here just made for whatever costume they give her, whatever hairdo they give her, including looking completely astonishing when bald. And I don't believe that's a bald cap. I think she shaved her head for the she role. She
0: did. She shaved her head, yeah. You know, Stephen Yoon is doing a lot of that now too. The guy from uh, the Walking Dead. For sure. You know, I think he's working in Korean cinema, right?
1: He's yeah. I, he, did, um, he did Okja for Bong Joon Ho and uh, Burning for Lee Chang Dong.
0: Yeah, I still haven't seen either of those. I either of those, even though I do like Lee Chang Dong.
1: But uh, in 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 general, though, regardless if you thought, oh, it's cool that Josie Packard out of the bednob whatever, you know. How is it seeing her here? Is it uh, because it's a challenging couple of roles despite uh, including nudity, so...
0: I think she's better here than she was on Twin Peaks. You know, if we're going to compare performances, I think she's uh, a lot more uh, human here in both of her roles. I think she can be both uh, frightening and also can be frightened. She does a great job, even though, you know, at the end of it, you're like, oh, there were two characters? (laughs) i think that uh she as an actress really does a great job
1: yeah now that you've said that uh i'm gonna have a look at it again at some point uh, because i I really do like the film and uh, it's the the most obvious thing you focus on in in terms of uh, interpreting matters is the main journey of uh, wuxin guo's uh, character and uh, his connection to the different Joan Chen's, uh, therefore. And uh, I, I found the movie really finds its stride once it hits the Buddhist temple. Because at the temple it's really down to earth. The design is really approachable. Now it's not a costume epic anymore. They're at a standing location, presumably a temple. And it's all about the tedious chores and the, the soldiers don't like doing this. Wu's character seems to find some peace here, even though he has plans. He has battle plans too. And... Mm-hmm. I really like that. It just uh, it it might be a slow burn, Joshua, but I I really f- like how they um, start to visually sort of um, imply that uh, he finds uh, a different path, uh, you know, so, uh, solace, uh, harmony. Uh, so it's not this sort of big Buddhist uh, lesson shoved down your throat or anything. Uh, there's one particular scene where he just feels he puts his hand on a wall or like a um, a column. And he seems fascinated by that, just mm-hmm. the build quality, essentially. But there is something there where, where the men are just whining and he's like, ah, I ah, 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 can't do this. But he finds something there. And those touches are like this, it's valid depth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, also still atmospheric and hypnotic. Yeah. Uh, to a degree, uh, to see this path, but you 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 mentioned art house and that it is so at least artistic. But to give I suppose listeners an idea, does it ever turn like? Is it abstract or is it when all is said and done quite a straightforward told movie? Mm. You know, granted, I I miss the thing with Joe, Joan Chen, two characters that sounds abstract in art house, but you know if you just look at his journey uh, as such.
0: By and large, pretty straightforward. But there, you know, there are moments of like like that with the the other characters showing up, and you know, it's never explicitly no. There's no there's no scene where he's like, you know, you look like someone I used to know or anything like that. That would give you, you know, the idea that you know this is a new character. So you know, it doesn't sit there and spoon feed itself to you. You know, you know, even though it is relatively straightforward so i mean i i guess i would say it's a combination of things but overall you watch it you're not going to be overly confused even though the character names are you know it might be difficult for you or anything like that you know you'll recognize the faces when you need to recognize them
1: yeah you, in the chess sequence they pile on different names and things and I, you know, I was worried about oh are we gonna have to keep track of different kings and princesses and prince yeah. and uh, but in the, in the end it really comes down to a couple of characters and as i said one leaves the fray and does not re-emerge until very very late and, and I enjoy his uh, journey. It's, it's, he's drawn into different um, into different directions, I suppose. Uh, he seems to enjoy his... Um, you know, he starts to merge with Buddhist thinking, but then he goes into town, essentially, and uh, engages in pleasure and uh, finds the Joan Chen character in, and dances with her. That's the pleasure in this question. And then he's shown this wanted poster of himself, and it's he cries in anger almost. It's a really nice uh, acting beat by Wu Quo. like he's reminded of his past life, that he wants to flee but can't. And uh, it's—it's—it's it's, it's an interesting sort of emotional, big emotional touch, by by the actor who I thought he's a newcomer. It's one of his first first lead um, first lead roles, and a really, an impressively physical actor expressive too without going overboard i mean they the, the, this is not a melodramatic movie just because he's on an emotional journey as such a re- really striking and uh, expressive actor and, uh, yes g- got thrown into a bad guy role by wong jing but he was still good in that uh, role in god of gambler's return you you hated that character and you felt um you felt that taiwanese he was uh, well uh was a good uh, good one for and fat to uh, battle against at cards <laughs> but uh you know uh, any spontaneous thoughts on on the actor i know you, you don't have a history with him but uh see you because he changed you know he changes his looks obviously when he becomes a monk, so really the, the, there's several personas going on here
0: yeah uh great performance overall I thought uh, you know the character kind of fools you at first you think he's gonna stick to this foolish you know quest for vengeance you know even though he's facing an army but you know as the movie goes along he finally becomes so beaten down that he just can't even fathom it anymore that's a lot to go through and he really puts it forth you know you kind of get that idea that uh, this guy's had everything taken from him and just really good performance
1: and and you get a final sort of third that uh, where we change um, from a temple to a run-down temple completely where he meets up with uh, this 100-year-old abbot played by actor Michael Lee, who is uh, a kooky old abbot, but he doesn't turn uh, this movie into a comedy. He really turned this movie into... Well, th- there are teachings that you recognize immediately. There are teachings. And then there are men like this who are just... Uh, Seems kooky, but offer up lessons, left or right, really. Uh, the 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 sort of uh, offhand dialogue that Michael Lee, as the old monk, throws out, like, uh, uh, "Why use your heart to think? You're an idiot." Mm. And uh, you know he's a simple man that uh, dishes out complex uh, lessons, and uh, he's he's both funny, but also just so sort of spot on. He looks the part, obviously, and just so sort of spot on on his uh, like. <laughs> like use your heart to think. Ah, why, why think of her? Why use your heart to think of her? Like forget about her. And he's right. Yeah. He's every yeah. every damn time he's right.
0: Wise bastard.
1: It's it, it's almost like a um a age old martial arts uh, action structure where mm-hmm. he needs to be accepted by the old master, and he said, "No, no, go away." <laughs> that. Uh, Makes the movie like it's not stuck at one temple for one and a half hours after the initial half hour. It's uh, this offers this offers up the, the sort of blue blue lit uh, more uh, even more uh, distant from battlegrounds section of uh, of the movie. And uh, I suppose it it all has we won't spoil it, but obviously this part holds um, further. Uh, depth in terms of his um, uh, his merging with Buddhist teachings, but also the uh, the eroticism emphasized so sort of full on here. And there's a it, it's interesting. Um, was what was she by this point the, the the princess from the first section of the movie, or is this a different character as well? The one who gets her head shaved.
0: That's an, the one who has the head shaved. She's an entirely different character. She's an assassin from the. Uh the main quote-unquote villain.
1: Right, very interesting twist, though, after having such an animalistic uh, sex scene. We've seen our share of so many bad sex scenes in these movies during this show. (laughs) So it's sort of nice to see someone uh, stage something artfully and with a purpose and stage it uh, in in an even more raw fashion that you're used to watching these uh, movies, you know and uh, there's no no doubt that it's uh old, and, uh, and, old johnny and uh, and yeah. old uh out of out of the out of the bed and uh, into another bed i suppose so, um uh, but uh, but yeah it really i i i think um the only other note i have a very likable film it's atmospheric hypnotic and it's easy to interpret and it's uh, it's nice that it's introspective i really found the uh the various pieces of action choreography, especially during the end that takes place in the burning house, really impressive because this was made in 1993. But they don't make uh, the choice of uh, uh, having uh, wire-assisted action. All of this is grounded. All of this is uh, true to character, I suppose. Uh, but he, they, they, they mix being grounded but yet having graceful, uh, graceful techniques. As they fight each other. At this point. Sheng Sheng Feng Yi is. Such a loud and primal. And the character who just wants violence. And Wu Xing Kuo as you remember. Has transformed completely. You know he's more zen at this point. Mm -hmm. So his grace is more evident. While that burning building is. uh, And the fire around the actors are going on. So really impressive stuff. But you know when you think about action sequences. Considering the movie it is does the action sequences stick with you equally or do you do you attach more to the introspective journey that the movie was
0: i think i more towards the introspective journey the action sequences are you know entertaining and they last for the minutes that they're there and it's pretty impressive and at times it's gruesome but once that's over, when you think about this movie later on, all you think about is the, you know, the main character and his transition from lustful, vengeance-seeking warlord to, you know, Zen Buddhist monk.
1: <laughs> and uh, this is half spoilery, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were you fine with this being sort of open-ended?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it fit the tone for the movie, you know? You, you, I kind of like going into it. I'm like, okay, he's either gonna die or it's gonna just kind of like have a, maybe a bleak ending or something like that. So I was happy with what they
1: they did. More peaceful than uh, mm-hmm. and, uh than R- 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 deciding on no, Buddhism does not work. <laughs> Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> which you could be then you can say that maybe Clara has learned her lesson in terms of uh, bleak endings as I talked about with prior movies um, so uh, that, that's certainly something um, that's uh, the end of my notes or the, before the availability any other uh, thing you want to say uh, anything serious you want to say about the movie or do you want to say some kooky things about Joan Chen and Twin Peaks again
0: <laughs> or Wu-Tang Clan uh, <laughs> or wu Clan uh... I no, I'm good. I think uh, we've said it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, n- nice to go into a movie without any preconceived notions. Uh, right. Because um, this is not a massively famous movie, but it's uh, it has a reputation, and uh, it was released internationally at one point. Uh, and um, as for availability um, in terms of the disc releases, this had a Taiwanese. Mono DVD release as well as a cropped US DVD, because at one point even DVDs widescreen wasn't a uh, guarantee. Uh, so that was the uh, US DVD for you. Uh, the latter DVD can still be found the US DVD for for cheap. It might have the actual uh, Dolby surround mix, uh, but um, so if you can find it, that's. That's a good option, but if we can find a Hong Kong Laserdisc, that's uh, better because it's leatherboxed and it definitely has the original surround sound mix. Uh, and it, w- it it this movie benefits from that because of the usage of music. You know, I, I can imagine those sequences of bloodshed that mainly are dominated by the percussion score would uh, really be appealing if you did watch this in uh, in surround sound. So. It's nice to see um, that technical quality. Lang Quai Fong swingers did not have a Dolby surround mix, Joshua. It did not. The did, did, did not go to the lengths of uh, of uh, to the Dolby stages. but can we can we mix our movie here? What's it about? Well, <laughs> you remember the Stampede from a few months ago? That's us.
0: <laughs> it would have been great for the uh, you know the this the sound of stamping. <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> people died <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we wanted to honor them we wanted to get the best you know stomping and crushing of bone sounds that we could we really wanted to put some, some thought
1: into this yeah that would have been something oh boy well I'm glad you enjoyed it Joshua we are going to take a musical break and uh, further our uh, sort of um Uh, focus on uh, female-driven creativity in this episode because in Dumplings you also have the co-writer and uh, original author Lillian Lee putting her stamp on things if you think about it looking at Temptation of a Monk and Dumplings alone, Lillian Lee was not a one-track mind kind of author, without having I haven't read any of her novels, but clearly if you have the idea of Temptation of a Monk and Dumplings in the same um, career you're thinking about stuff and uh mul- m- multiple stuff you know and that's rather cool so we'll have a look at that the musical break uh, dumplings coming right up the review re- the review of it and not uh, the dish as such
0: we're not serving dumplings exactly. with or without fetus
1: no, not untold story style dumplings nor nor um, uh, dumplings style dumplings there it is we'll take a musical break and we'll be right back and welcome back to the show 30 seconds later or three weeks later make up your own mind what happened during the break because sometimes that's what happens in the podcasting world you can't record it all so you take a three week break and then reconnect and uh, me and joshua are still here and we're still friends and we're gonna lead you through the second half of the podcast and the second half as you uh, might uh, remember joshua certainly listeners do Concerns the movie Dumplings from 2005 and plot from my review of the film, Lee, played by Miriam Jung, is a former TV actress on the brink of turning older than she wants to admit. She enlists the services of a mainland woman called Mei, played by Biling, called Aunt by her surroundings, uh, which is the mystery of it all, and she is rumored to have a miracle cure that can retain youth. The miracle cure is the age-old Chinese tradition of making dumplings with the special ingredient of fetuses. Which is not the twist of the movie, that's what you know most of you anyway going in because mm-hmm. it's the part of the promotion and uh, the, 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 this is a feature movie we, we watch but a lot of people watch the short movie and i'm gonna set the stage why this was a short movie and now and why it was also a feature movie so the omnibus project 3 was released in 2002 to great acclaim it featured the shorts the wheel by thai director nancy Butter. sorry for the mispronunciation. It also featured the short Memories from Korea's Kim Ji-Woon, the director of A Tale of Two Sisters and also the final short was Going Home from Hong Kong director Peter Chan. This got a follow-up in the form of three extremes and this raised the stakes by adding a roster of even higher profile directors across the board. It featured The short movie "Box" from Japanese director Takashi Miike, cut from Korea's Park Chan Wook, the director of *Old Boy*, and *Dumplings* by Hong Kong's Fruit Chan, who had not really dabbled in horror. At all, really, he he had he had made more Hong Kong centric movies uh, uh, with the theme surrounding uh, the 1997 handover. Uh, movies like Made in Hong Kong, A Longest Summer, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Fruit Chan in a bit. And his lead uh, Joshua, I don't know if you remember this, uh, so, sort of perusing Hong Kong movies of uh, the early millennium. But his lead Miriam Jung, she was more or less the rom-com queen prior. Uh, um, a lot more bubbly personality and this role in dumplings as a woman obsessed with her age and trying out these fetus filled dumplings in order to halt age was a left turn and a half so um it, it's an unusual for the director unusual for the lead actress and th- this was a short movie within three extremes and dumplings uh, was also expanded into a feature edit and we're talking of this here it might have been uh uh, simply done in order to qualify for awards, but it's quite a hefty extra running time, so it doesn't feel like this last minute idea where they just added a few minutes to clinch the limit because they go from essentially 30 35 minutes to nearly 90. So, so, so I think um, after they realized free was such a success, they were prepared to uh, to uh, expand this into feature and um, and uh, be recognized by the awards and certainly they were across uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan uh, Dumplings was honored with best supporting actors awards going to uh, Bai Ling and uh, Tony Leung Ka Fai got a best supporting actor award he has like three little scenes in the short movie and obviously as as you know Joshua he is he is a supporting actor in this movie with his uh, distinct um, not even blonde hair, but gray hair, and uh, eating those uh, awfully tasty-looking uh, whatever mm. bird eggs they were uh, for for the issues of health, I suppose.
0: Uh, Pterodactyl, I think it was.
1: It's, uh, it, I, I, I bet it was a nice uh, tasting ice cream or something, but bo- boy, did it look gross. Do you remember... Uh, I, I might have asked you this uh, in, in the first half, uh, like, really inform in an informal manner, but uh, let us expand. Do you remember these... These two short movie collections, free or or free extremes, did they like hit your radar based on interest in in any of the directors? Uh,
0: upon initial release, yeah, it hit mine. because uh, I was just basically trying to absorb anything Takashi Miike at the time, and he was one of the directors involved in Three Extremes. But uh, I still never really got around to watching it. Uh, I started started it. I don't know. Somehow I started dumplings. Uh, I know I've seen like, the, I'd seen like the first maybe 15 minutes of the movie before, but uh, I thought it was, we talked about this, but I thought it was the first one in Three Extremes, the first short, but you told me later that it wasn't. So who knows how much of Three Extremes I've seen, but uh, overall, uh, yeah, I had I definitely had it on my agenda for a while.
1: Would you be interested in, in, in the Takashi Miki one based on the fact that it's quite, it's borderline abstract? And it doesn't explain itself very well, but it's quite atmospheric at the same time. Do you like that side of Takashi Miki, or do you want him to be all out crazy?
0: It depends. It's always it's always kind of like a at least back in the day with Miki. I haven't kept up with him in years, but uh, like back in the day, you had your dead or alive uh, style of abstract, which I loved because you know you could actually piece it together and say, okay, well he was going for this. You know, it's kind of like a. Uh, satirical play on what you expect from v cinema and what you expect from the, this crime drama featuring two of the you know biggest v cinema stars you know i could get behind it and make sense of things and enjoy it but then there was stuff like ah shit what was uh was the iso god
1: well, well well i know that's a name but i haven't seen it um,
0: yeah yeah it's fucking awful
1: yeah <laughs> Well, well, he's uh, 100 movies in now, so uh, the track record must be uh, go up and down. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but I mean, for uh, you know, he's one of the most uh, consistent for somebody who puts out that many movies. You know, or had put out that many movies. He was always very, very consistent. You know, watch six movies and like five of them. You know, that's that's pretty good numbers. You know.
1: Oh, for sure. I uh, I remember when uh, me and Paul Queen did the. Uh uh, we, we we did the Korean cinema episode on The Quiet Family and as a, as a bonus chat we did the Mickey remake uh, happiness, happiness of the Categories which was made the same year as Ichi the Killer and uh, Visitor Q. So it was this o- oddly infamous Year and really uh, he where he pushed boundaries and then he made happiness of the categories and talked of the, the talked of very heartfelt things that he wanted to put in it in terms of uh, talking of family and talking of how grief should affect you and mm-hmm. like that's the same guy that made pieces the Q. <laughs> that's yeah, a, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. That's a different family film <laughs> about family. So
0: I-, I remember. I don't know. Man, 2000 to 2002, three, maybe even up to 2005 was such a big time for Asian cinema. You know, just seemed like fucking everything was firing all on all cylinders. You know, you were hearing about things in different areas that you wouldn't have. it was it was a it was big time. And man, yet Mika was right there, man, right there. uh, Visitor Q. Uh, Dead or Alive Itchy the Killer all these things seem to hit within you know almost seem like months apart from each other it's probably really years but it's pretty big and now coming to Podcast on Fire very soon director series Takashi Miike covering all films up till this point
1: screw you I've, I know I, it's simply not uh, the time for it. Like in, in this timeline as as we are now, as we are recording, I, I've just started to. Uh, I've concluded the, the Hideo Gosha series on Japan of Fire. We've just recorded our first. Um, not our first, but uh, our, our sort of. Uh, our requested episode on cultish anime. So we did an episode of Fist of the North Star. So. Uh, but. And, and then we're going to keep keep doing some something anime but uh, me case dub? Hmm? did you do the English dub uh, no I watched it in Japanese for this viewing I've, I've seen the English dub a bunch of times I had so a VHS good. I had Laserdisc and uh, and th- things like that so I thought like it's been a while since I saw it in Japanese um, and and I'm also watching the TV series right now the Fist of the North Star TV series the 152 episode TV series <laughs> I'm on 105 after like a year so uh, so, so, I'm, so I was sort of used to the voices and I wanted to still hear those voices because it's the same voice cast. Uh, at any rate, as for our director of Dumplings, Fruit Chan, that I think surprised everybody with his leap here. Um, but He is, uh, if you go back historically, he slotted into that second new wave of directors so that also Clara Law could be argued to be part of, but Fruit Chan wasn't beginning to be, uh, he wasn't uh, active truly until the end of the 90s. He, um, And uh, when he uh, started to craft his cinematic identity, he made movies about the everyday lives of Hong Kong people, about prostitutes, the anxiety anxiety about the 1997 handover, and kicked off his career big time with, uh, I believe, his second feature, which was the indie movie Made in Hong Kong from 1997. And uh, he made a ghost movie in the early 90s. That was his literally first movie. But... uh, that wasn't being delivered with a sense of identity really. Uh, Made in Hong Kong signaled a style, a focus and a theme. And uh, Chan was born in China in 1969 Uh, subsequently his family emigrated to Hong Kong and uh, he liked films growing up they were at the forefront of his uh, interests. Uh, He looked at uh, uh, everything from uh, soviet films to local films i suppose uh, and uh, he worked uh, in a projection booth uh, while he also studied uh, script writing and directing at the hong kong film culture center and uh, eventually he, he got a job assisting director david Lai on the hostess drama midnight girls from 1986 you can see Fruit chan in a bunch of movies here and uh, everything from uh, he's in heart of the dragon he's if you remember the opening um Training exercise in *Heart of the Dragon*. He's one of the uh, persons there. So uh, this sort of portly, portly guy with with glasses that uh, Jackie Chan perhaps shoots during that exercise. So uh, you can see him in movies as well. This uh, assistant directing uh, gig uh, would lead to several gigs in the same capacity as he worked for high-profile directors such as Jackie Chan, Kirk Wong, and Ronnie Yu. And um, he he made his debut uh, eventually with uh, Finale in Blood, but it was 1997's Made in Hong Kong, uh, produced by Andy Lau, that made for Chan's name. And he he scraped together money and materials for a number of years. It was truly an indie movie and released it during a time when the handover was looming. Obviously, it was 1997. And the Hong Kong film industry was in a late 90s phase where it literally was in peril due to piracy, whether they deemed 97, 98 or 99 to be the most sort of perilous year. But uh, it was in in turmoil because um, the VCD piracy or DVD piracy was just rampant. And... um, Chan was uh, praised for his uh, independence as a filmmaker made in, making, made in Hong Kong and how he made a realistic film about the politics and social situations of Hong Kong at the time. And it uh, did go on to become the best picture at the Hong Kong Film Awards, uh, even beating veteran filmmakers such as Wong Kar-wai and Ringo Lam that year. So what a what a start. And uh, he, he was honored with Best Director too and Best New Artist, uh, the Actor Award. I went to the newcomer uh, that uh, Fruit Chan found on the streets. I think he was a skateboarder or like an electrician or something, uh, Sam Lee. Uh, Sam Lee is now, uh, now a veteran actor. Uh, he continued through Chan the examination of the handover and uh, the characters within Hong Kong society uh, experiencing this Uh, he he changed perspectives um, in his uh, second movie Um, and and he made three movies about about this so it's the 1997 trilogy and the second one was about ex-Hong Kong soldiers of the British Army and that movie was called The Longest Summer and the third one Little Cheung is about the last race of innocence of the time uh, you know with children but it was a more gentle movie, though uh, the, the the first two was quite um, quite uh, downbeat. But uh, Little Chung, I think, is my favorite because it really is a sweet movie, and uh, with a just a glorious performance by by the child actor that they that they found one of these one of those naturals that. Um, that uh, made that movie uh, Then Fruit Chan headed into themes of prostitutions, uh, prostitution Between uh, 2000 and 2002 He made a movie called Durian Durian Hollywood Hong Kong And uh, then an art piece that I really didn't like Called Public Toilet
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's the way you pronounce oh, that man. title Public Toilet <laughs> Toilet
0: Like Vince McMahon, public, (laughs) public.
1: Is that the wrestling, wrestling guy? Yeah. Okay. It
0: it was me, Austin. (laughs) The entire time.
1: But thankfully, that, that memory of Public Toilet was like uh, completely erased uh, by 2004 because Dan Fruit Chan took uh, another large step onto the world stage, sort of commercial world world stage, when he directed Dumplings. Uh, and uh, he's been at it. I mean, um, I haven't seen all of his works since then, but I really liked his 2014 movie, The Midnight After, which had this unpredictable tone. Uh, it's sort of a horror setup. Uh, uh, people go on a particular bus, go through a tunnel and then when they come out of the tunnel Hong Kong is deserted and there are ghostly sights here and there and no one knows what's going on and it's very weird and it's creative and fun and uh, very open-ended to boot uh, and uh, just a nice Hong Kong Hong Kong movie, Kara Hoy is in it, Simon Yam, Sam Lee again and uh, so, so it shows he's still got this um, unpredictable tone to his um, movies and uh, choices I suppose uh, Uh, So you can't calculate ahead of time what he's going to do. I mean, recently, very recently, he released a movie called Invincible Dragon, which I believe is an all-out action piece starring Max Chang. Uh, And I don't know if that is just Fruit Chan taking any job that was offered to him, or if he actually saw something like, I'm I'm, going to do it. I'm going to do a martial arts action film and see if I can do it. I don't know. It just came out of sort of nowhere. Oh, Fruit Chan, Invincible Dragon. Well better that than public toilets <laughs> let's get into it then because i am i'm i'm i'm, I'm willing to bet that this would be like joshua's first fruit chan movie i have a slight suspicion that made in hong kong and, and the likes never really reached you necessarily even if you know them by name or
0: no, i think you are correct although public toilet does have me interested it's fucking
1: boring it's it's uh, it's set in both like Korea and Hong Kong, Japan, and there's some I couldn't find a semblance of story, and that was really boring, and uh, I I couldn't find a purpose to it, uh, which was, was a shame, and it's shot on video, and it looks really really crummy too, and uh, yeah, but uh, as for dumplings, which uh, oh this does does not look crummy, this is uh, professionalism galore, and. Uh, uh, so, uh, let me throw over to you for a short uh, opinion, first of all, of uh, dumplings. So, what did you think of it?
0: Baby back ribs. Real baby back ribs.
1: Are you the crypt keeper or something? <laughs>
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you say about this? It was like a very entertaining. Oh, really? You like watching babies get eaten, huh? But, <laughs> no, it was... Uh,
1: Welcome to Joshua's, uh, the inside of Joshua's head. Yeah. Would you say it's horror or could you find something uh, funny about this or sort of satirical about this? Oh,
0: I definitely can find some satire in it. I mean, it, the whole premise is, its you know, I, I was joking about him before we, we kind of went on the air, but it is very Jonathan Swift, isn't it? Like, the, Jonathan Swift wrote his book, uh, A Modest Proposal, all about, you know, the rich being able to eat... Uh, the children of uh, the poor, and in, in this, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like rich people trying to keep their beautiful good looks, and uh, in doing so, eating fetuses and you know whatever else they can get their hands on. If they can get a live baby and it'll keep them looking good, they're definitely going to go for it. Uh, so there's definitely some satire in there, but treated very, very straight
1: faced. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I think it's a really enjoyable but suitably disgusting movie but, yeah. but, but yet it's not gleeful about it. I mean it's dark horror but it's like comedy too throughout uh, not the, not a gag comedy I mean you might gag but because it's disgusting but it's not uh, a wacky comedy it also has a fetching visual style Christopher Doyle shot this just as he shot the Hong Kong segment for uh, the first three going home uh, Christopher Doyle, uh, uh go-to cinematographer for several movies. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, the beauty and age-obsession angle uh, it, its a fun, clever setup. Uh, actually, uh, it might not be the best satire in the world, but it, it really is... It, it feels fun and clever the way Fru-Chan does it and follows through on it. And really lets us know how while this setup is, without always dangling it in front of us visually. There are some really clever ways of showing a lot, but not showing a lot at the same time, which is only possible to understand if you watch the movie, that you realize like you, you think you've seen a lot, but they, they are really, they, yeah. they are disguising it very cleverly. Not to avoid a Category 4 rating, if it uh, ever had had one. I mean, it is Category 3, but uh, they, they've structured this around... Uh, showing strategically. The setting, Joshua, is familiar for a Fruit Chan movie. As uh, the movie sort of opens, uh, we see these uh, these high-rises uh, where the lower class live. But uh, here, something changes in a Fruit Chan movie. Class literally enters you know, someone seemingly impeccable and, and unobtainable, which is the Miriam Young character. But uh, she's obviously not satisfied, and she's afraid of... Uh, falling and failing in her privileged uh, life so I I kind of like that Fruit Chan is signaling, signaling that something is entering his realm it's not him mm-hmm. going into filmmaking that everyone says he's not good enough to pursue I mean it is commercial filmmaking and, uh, but, but, but I think uh, if you're familiar with Fruit Chan you realize that a lot of this seems um, familiar but uh, we haven't seen Joshua a Fruit Chan movie with this much vibrancy Color-wise and costume design-wise, and uh, even pr- uh, production design-wise, looking at Biling's apartment and all of that, so it really it really pops. Uh, just like the images of the fetuses that we see, pop as well because they're obviously <laughs> yeah. the color that they are. Um, so within this, you, you see Biling, and she has that um, she has an excessive style um, about her, which. Uh, got her the actor acting award so i guess that that's a spontaneous question if you have any thoughts on either her or the way the movie sort of uh, is littered with design and color really if you look at that cramped cramped apartment of hers. so
0: yeah she hasn't looked this good since she uh played the toilet in public toilet little <laughs> small campy <laughs> stop it <laughs> <laughs> um no, she's great, and uh, yeah, the movie looks looks wonderful. It still has this sleazy look to it, you know, like everything, like the little apartment that Byling stays in. Everything's kind of like I don't know, kind of gritty and nasty a little bit to a certain degree, and like I don't know, I think that's very fitting for the material. But then you, you know, whenever it goes to the, you know our socialite's home and everything everything's all clean and polished and I don't know, it's it's very well shot.
1: I mean it's an elite production and costume design team Mm -hmm. on this too, Uh, uh, Haichung Man is a famous uh, production designer, Dora M is a famous costume designer and they also worked on Free, so they they really bring in the top guns here but they don't uh, it doesn't have a commercial sheen Joshua where you just think oh yeah it's professional but it doesn't reach me, Uh, it just looks professional and that's it that's it but uh, that's what this movie doesn't do because you're curious about all these uh age this this age like memorabilia across her across her apartment and they obviously drop some clues there about uh they, they talk about her age and she says well i'm i'm an aunt they do call me an aunt because i am an aunt so you wonder like what, what is going on here? And and, and, by, and by the way, you you should also realize, uh, Joshua, and you, you you'll definitely see this when you watch the whole three extremes. That no one was the uh, money that they do cookie cutter horror, because because uh, this doesn't come off as cookie cutter horror, right?
0: Right. No, not at all. I mean, defining it as a horror film is kind of you know, it's kind of like, is it really? Like, I mean, really, what, there's certainly nothing. S- there's kind of a supernatural bent to it, but I mean, if people looking, you know, younger than they are is considered scary, then I guess that's horror.
1: What do you think otherwise? Of um, I mean, there's so many examples of that, but how he throughout the movie continually shows but not shows the the fetuses as they're either prepared or as they look at them in their, so to say, raw form but you see them through, projected through glass and uh, from mm-hmm. underneath in bowls and all, all of that. I mean, does the effect come through where you totally realized oh my god I'm actually looking at that or, or do you have to sort of like wait what is, hmm, hmm or, 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 or how was that for you or was that like a balance for you where, where show don't tell show don't tell but he actually showed a lot and told a lot at the same time
0: <laughs> well you know he, he never goes for the full gratuitous stuff you know you, you do see fetuses in jars and things like that and it's rare that you see anything too grotesque the shot in the film where like you know very brilliantly played where you i think you don't even see the knife come down much less its impact but you hear it as you know a you know a very very far along fetus is chopped up that's probably the ideal scene for showing you know what the movie doesn't show but still shows the impact that
1: it can have It really uses sound design to its advantage as well, and uh, both, uh, well, 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 music too, but there's little, like, clacks and clanks in the sound design, and close-up of boiling dumplings, and obviously, when when anything is eaten, you get that huge crunch, and I think it's one of those cases where people are going to take that with them, Uh, maybe more then actually uh, and, and maybe maybe they want to remember correctly afterwards like maybe they, they they'll talk of like oh I saw this scene and they were eating it and they were like chewing on it nam, 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 in full view and like no that really didn't happen your your memory is uh, yeah. vivid but uh, I think uh, he's he's providing like an excellent mix of showing not showing being very artistic mm-hmm. Uh, but l- not letting it be like literally beautiful or anything. Um, but they, to to me, they've mapped out which buttons to push without being lethal. And I guess there's no secret to what is going on here. Or, or, or do you think it was a bit uh, like uncertain that she was being served fetuses? Or did you pick up on that fairly quickly that she's preparing that for her?
0: Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the first opening moments of the film. And they sit there and discuss it. Like, what is it, the first 10-15 minutes? We're kind of already, we're, we're fetus-eating.
1: It, it, to, to me, it almost felt like Miriam Jung's character wasn't, almost wasn't understanding it fully. Or may, maybe didn't want to admit that this was, this was what she was doing, you know.
0: She's okay with it when it's like little minnows, basically. But when she gets the full-grown fish later in the film, it becomes an issue because it's a lot closer to, you know, an actual baby.
1: Would you be able to spot that uh, her as an actress were, was doing something way different in movies otherwise, being a romantic comedy queen and even a tomboy to a degree? Would you be able to spot that watching Miriam Young in this one, that uh, she probably has a different cinematic identity than this?
0: No, it never dawned on me. She has a lot of poise in this very fanciful lady
1: she moves slow she moves slower uh, she's uh she's quite uh methodical in that way uh, and uh so she isn't uh providing this crazy time in 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 that way but the, it isn't like this oddly pasted image on top of her which it really could have been but they they really pull off a, a magic trick with her without also aging her too drastically you know do do you remember at all watching the Wonka Wai movies and the Christopher Doyle cinematography with the blurry shaky cam and the way they they shot art? Was was that ever appealing to you? Because Christopher really became famous for that, but uh, there's a flip side to his cinematography skills as present in this movie. So do you remember w- watching those movies like Chunking Express and yeah. Fallen Angels? And was that a style that just like wow art is here and I like it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: art is born it's a means to an end I thought it fit those films very well a little discombobulating at times but no I thought uh, just this is neat <laughs>
1: yeah. because he also shot Hero, the Jet Li movie Hero that was Chris Doyle as well so so it's like I, I, I like when he uses his eye this way it's um uh, it's very fresh to me uh, to see uh, or, or refreshing rather to see him uh, use his eye this way, it is this glossy, but really, uh it's just glossy because it looks good. But he's shooting disgusting things, you know. And uh, and uh, I think it's really fetching how he captures Miriam in her bright outfits in this oh traditionally decorated apartment, or with old traditional things littered around it, as we talked about. So, and and yet it's not showing off, you know. They 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 they're, they're tilting the camera. They give us some double image at, time, at times, but. Uh, this is the Chris Doyle I like I mean he's known as such a madman and uh really anarchist as a person because he, he does what he likes and he glug 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 drink 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 and then go and shoot movies that's okay I'll, I'll, I'll do what I like I'm good at my job and well welcome to Sh- Shunking Express <laughs> but uh I also like by the way that biling she, she's a tricky character because it seems like at times she's uh she says the right things and is even discourages she she, she doesn't want the Miriam young character to necessarily go down these routes because she talks about well we must face our fates and we must treasure our time and uh, it's almost this she she's uh, giving her a heads up that eating this will corrupt you and it's a cycle that won't stop or anything you could also be argued that she's uh, she has her hooks she she knows how, how to sort of hook uh characters so she she's gonna play with them by being this uh sort of kooky aunt i suppose she she has this uh old timey way about her so but, but uh she puts on a show i suppose so. do you remember seeing her in any American movies as such or this is not a not a name that uh, sticks out as such uh biling for for me, it's uh, she was in Anna and the King. Uh, she she had a supporting role in Anna and the King. As, She's in The uh, Crow, right? She is in The Crow, that's right.
0: Oh, crank. Anna and the King, that's the movie you go to?
1: Well, I've seen it a bunch of times. It's uh, a giant fat, for heaven's sake. Uh, <laughs> J- Jodie Foster and giant fat. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, and it's not a musical anymore. You know, The King and I, but we're all talking.
0: Art is here.
1: Art is here, it's arrived. Right. Chris Doyle and Wong <laughs> Do you think it at any point is like pushing things too far, considering that it shows this um, abortion on screen with well, well, its effects, obviously, but uh, it, it's a pretty full-on sequence, maybe? Do you think it uh, pushes uh, like the gore and the sights too far at no. any point?
0: I mean, Serbian film showed a baby getting raped right after it came out of the womb. Yeah,
1: it did. This is fine. <laughs> you might think Joshua is making things up, but no, that happened.
0: Yeah, newborn porn. But anyway, no, I don't think that this is goes too far. I mean, there's basically in that scene, the most you see is blood spilling, you know, and stuff like that. It's it's about the extent of it. You know, it's all about how it's managed within the film. Had they gone into a close up of the vagina and stuff like that, that's a different thing. If there was an American independent horror film. What was it called? Gutterballs or something like that. And the guy, a guy raped a woman using a bowling pin and it showed they had built like a you know a fake bottom torso and raped it with the bowling pin like that would be too
1: much the the reason i'm asking is that uh, i i i I know that you probably didn't think that i certainly don't think that but it's a movie that it's gonna stick with you and if you don't do it right after delivering such sights, whether it's that scene which Mm -hmm. is not you you know it's only graphic because we we stay with it and it's uh, it it's a uh, it's an abortion that then story wise leads to something quite horrible you know without spoiling it but but the scene on the bus where yeah. where someone sits yeah. in that pool of blood if anything is the most simple fucking effect in a movie I think that was when I literally got some shivers up my spine because when the guys find that blood that someone else has. Uh, Left there. (laughs) Yeah. That is a ton of blood, man.
0: Yeah. I like how the guy stands up. He's like pissed off that he has blood on his pants, but it's like you're not even concerned about whoever was here and lost this much blood. Wow. Dickhead.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, structurally, the movie has that theme thing of, uh, well, it's going to go good for a while. You know, uh, we even have a little going good montage or a little going good moment where Miriam Young Young is uh, poking uh, the head out of. uh, uh, She was on the bus and she's poking the head out of the window and just uh, like a dog, just uh, letting the wind hit her because everything is going great now. And uh, obviously obviously it doesn't. uh, uh, But uh, she really earns her chops there because she's been so down and so. You know, there's no, not been a smile on her. And now all of a sudden she's a sexual creature again. Tony Lung I mean, I don't know if you have any notes on him, but he had a good job on this movie. He had a good job on this movie. He gets to uh, have his uh, nails done and he gets to eat the, the, the disgusting egg, gets to have sex with <laughs> two of the leading ladies. And uh, even though the character has broken his uh, leg, he still has sex with Miriam Young. Tony Leung best supporting actor Oh, free leading ladies for heaven's sake he has sex with Bai Ling too his character is it's uh, he's, 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 he's a curious thing because obviously they don't get on as such as husband and wife anymore and uh, it seems like he has his own agenda to a degree um, he's selfish so uh, Tony never disappoints is, is my point too so
0: he's been in everything he's the man you know I don't know what can you say he looks awesome here with the white hair too
1: Really different, uh, different look. uh is not even blonde, but like uh, gray hair. But uh,
0: he goes with the flow, and if that flow involves eating a pterodactyl egg, then fucking let's do it.
1: You know, morals and ethics and corruption. I think uh it's uh, out the window. Out the window in this movie.
0: <laughs> I don't know what was it. Um, Bathory. She used to. Wasn't her name? What's her name? Lady Bathory, who used to. Take young virgin women and bathe in their blood to try and keep herself uh, young. Real story, real thing. But uh, yeah, I don't think this shit works.
1: Would you guess this was a short movie initially? You know, when you look at the feature at hand here,
0: no, you would not. You know, even going through it, I try to pick, You know, I was trying to piece together because I watched them back to back, and I'm trying to piece together. Okay, what's new? Because everything fits so damn well. I don't know, do you have like a list or anything like that of things that are different?
1: Not not extensive, but the most obvious addition, I think is an expanded, well, uh, Tony's role is expanded um, from like three scenes, two of which were sex, to more scenes, three of which are sex (laughs) this time around. But uh, what they do add, uh, essentially the short movie ends around the bath scene, where she breaks down in the bath crying. But uh, the last third of this one adds um, more subplot with um, the the girl that um, Tony is cheating with. Um, uh, Miriam goes after her. She has a purpose of, um, she uh, she doesn't want revenge on her, but she sees uh, that there's a purpose here. And it's about the cycle, the, the feeder cycle if you will, because it never stops. Um, So she's so far gone by that point. Um, So that is a major extra subplot that makes the movie's conclusion actually completely different to, um, to a short movie. The short movie actually ends on a supernatural angle of sorts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But by adding that, uh, did you think like, uh, oh, here's the total extended bit and uh, they are just sort of milking this premise? Or did you feel it flowed, flowed nicely into this new subplot of of the Spar Girl, if you will?
0: I thought it flowed incredibly well. I'm curious, how did, did they shoot it as a feature and then cut it down to a short? Or? I'm,
1: I'm pretty certain where once they realized going home, the short in free actually became an award winner. They only extended that by a few minutes. It was like 50 minutes, extended it to an hour. I think they realized that, well, that can happen again, so we, we should plan way more ahead. So I, I literally think they, they mapped out how will this work as a short, how will this work as a feature
0: everything seems as if it was sh- you know there's nothing in it that you're like oh this looks like it was tacked on there's nothing like that
1: yeah and not uh too i mean you you get a sense of the characters in both versions i think the short and uh the feature but i i never thought that uh it was uh, repeating its points or anything. Um, it, it was nice to get a more view of uh, Miriam Jung's home life and the frustration. I mean, we we, we see scenes earlier in the film where Biling's character is with her, and uh, the whole whole place is being redecorated. And uh, at one point, she stomps out a, an actual bird's egg, and uh, you know, it's she's um, she is on the edge a little bit. And those are not um, bad scenes to have. They they expand on that, not friendship, but. The, she she certainly wants uh, Aunt May around because uh, that's the solution to everything and uh, obviously it's a losing game this. But, but I'm glad you say that because uh, today, to, today when you hear extended cuts or see director's cuts those two terms have just lost all meaning for me. Back in the day director's cut was the coolest shit you could ever hear
0: terminator 2 it's a
1: blade runner guy. the director's cut and in some of those cases it actually meant something and now it's just like extended cut what ifs that's so big recently for the first time in a million years and uh, it had like an extended cut on it and i read like blah, 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 and the review said all of the deleted scenes are worthless and Shit. yeah i can just imagine that because what was wrong with big so it really has lost all meaning but, but i'm glad you say that uh, this seemed to uh, just be the most natural thing in the world that this is uh, now a a concept that um, can be extended here. I guess a final question there. You you haven't seen, obviously, The Longest Summer Made in Hong Kong, but they are more independent. They are more loose as shots. So knowing the story that I just told you and seeing the results of Dumplings, uh, you know, it's another would you have guessed, but would you have guessed this director made way smaller movies with... uh, more loose style and without elite production design crew and all around. Like, would you have guessed that this? I uh, come from a small director.
0: It doesn't stand out to me as that, uh, you know, it, it seems very accomplished, semi very familiar with their craft, you know. So I wouldn't think that, you know, I wouldn't picture him being minor league, nor would I have thought that Biling would have been in the toilet, in public toilet. <laughs> if if we have any fans, if you want to send fan art of Biling as the toilet in public toilet, that would be great.
1: I never said she was in it or that the movie had a shot like that. Maybe that movie would have been better if it had someone in a toilet. Like hi, hi, I'm in a toilet. Uh, we're making art.
0: She is the toilet, though. You know, like you know, she's her head sticks out of kind yeah.
1: of tread lightly, tread lightly.
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of like. You know, and, uh, it's me Pee-wee's too, Playhouse. it's me too, 2019, <laughs> it's me too. <laughs> the little couch that talks on PeeWee's Playhouse. That, that was her, you know, but her head stuck out the um, back of
1: it. You're a crafty man, so go, go, out, go out and get Biling. You're going to be a toilet and a couch.
0: Like, what? Why would I be a toilet? You need to be the toilet. This is art. God, do I have to explain everything?
1: Well, well, well. Uh, Is it harder to watch these movies uh, now that you're a father, or is it just movies?
0: It's harder because I have to, you know, find the time away to be able to watch it, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me.
1: Still got my uh, unearthed films collection, but uh, it's simply not out in the open.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Still got uh, my Flowers of Flesh and Blood up there. I haven't delved into the American Guinea Pig series yet. I don't know what to think of that yet.
1: Maybe that's a uh, too late of a so late-breaking concept to bring to the world. Maybe Guinea Pig was its own thing, but who knows?
0: Yeah, you know, like I don't know, something magical about uh, the old, uh, you know, the, the old Charlie Sheen stories and whatnot. This isn't winning. This is dangerous. <laughs> Look, brother, some I died on this thing. You gotta, you gotta do something
1: about this. I know. I talk about tigers' blood all the time, but I think I saw some actual tigers' blood in the
0: movie. FBI. You're in the FBI, right? I mean, you can get access to like cocaine and stuff. You get the details, right? You can get that stuff, right? Do you have a cure for HIV? Oh, that's too far,
1: too far. Come on, he's Back he's on been he's boat. been ill. He's been ill. He's a nice guy. He he has these lucid moments, you know. Uh,
0: yeah, he
1: did. If you ever watch his interview on Graham Norton, that's like, whoa, where did this Charlie came from? He's like very, very aware and very funny and very um, uh, nuanced and. Uh, has a perspective on things.
0: Sometimes I wonder, like he almost seems like he has Parkinson's or something like that. You watch Charlie Sheen and you watch Michael J. Fox; their interviews back to back, and they both kind of have the same tics.
1: Well, 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 let me ask the newbie question here because one, I'm not educated; one, I haven't done this. Excessive drug use would that lead to shakes, even if you're clean?
0: Anecdotally, I know enough people that have done drugs throughout their life that are now. They see things and hear things that aren't really there. It's almost like it creates these, you know, mental conditions. It's like, you know, you think somebody's born and turns into a schizophrenic, but, you know, I, I know people that really, you know, fit all of the symptomology of uh, having schizophrenia, but the only thing they've ever done is uh, crystal meth and crack cocaine, you know?
1: Yeah, you wonder uh, if uh, anything stuck with Charlie in that regard. Where, uh...
0: oh yeah, just, you don't walk away from all that just like nothing happening to you. I did, you know, I did watch him in a documentary on uh, a platoon that was on uh, Amazon recently, and uh, I think it was like probably 2017, 2018, something like that, and he he seemed relatively normal in
1: it yeah it's uh, rejuvenated i suppose um uh, uh, in the light of Ill- illness and what have you he's been eating babies well, well it leads me to my final note because i really wanted to say one more thing why i was so impressed about uh, fruit chance work and it's one of those like god damn it i wish i was this talented i wish i could be as good of a filmmaker filmmaker because communicating a beat like this seems so simple but I, I don't think it is, and I'm so impressed when it happens. The, it, it seems like a minor scene, but it's towards um, the second half. She, uh, after that, uh, going good montage, and she is rejuvenated. Miriam Jung's character, and she has this dinner party, and uh-huh. uh, someone starts smelling something. Someone smells like fish, fish somewhere, and she realizes that it's her and she runs out to, uh, to the bathroom and she, she sh- it shows that she has a rash of some kind and that beat Joshua I was so impressed because you instantly know n- n- you don't know why but you know something is bad and Fruit Chan isn't emphasizing it with a boom right or anything. it's just like oh n- n- you, you're with that moment as an audience and I, I wanted to single out that moment because I think if you communicate something well in movies, I think you're at a like directorial level that's actually elite. And this is a moment where you realize that this isn't good. I won't spoil why, because it's quite a horrible explanation why her recipe that she's uh, ingested uh, was a bad one. As a matter of fact, uh, there's, a, there's a side effect for a reason. And you only hear it in, in words. You only hear it verbally. Why she has, is experiencing uh, side effects? And you go, man, this movie isn't was really horrible. <laughs> it's, it, it's still classy filmmaking, which is the yes. point of this episode. Like uh, these were two movies that were um, actual movies, not uh, not any bonkophones as such. They had sex, but um, not uh, this uh, cheap ass uh, phones or anything. So. Kudos to Fruit Chan. And again, I do recommend... I mean, mean, I'm sure you don't have time to watch more than a few movies here and there. But uh, if The Midnight After is still on Netflix, I really do recommend watching it. Because it's one of those... It's a horror setup. Where did everyone go? We're on the bus and we're still alive. Why isn't everyone... Why isn't anyone here? And why is that person appearing as some sort of ghostly apparition? Why, 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 why? Fruit Chan does this really alive, unpredictable movie. That you just sit there and watch, like I can't wait to see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, 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 I did say it, it sort of ends in an open-ended fashion, but it's part of the playful aura of it. So, if the midnight after for for you or any US viewers, uh, add it to your Netflix queue because um, it's it's an unusual Hong Kong movie. It's not the it's not the usual calculated mainland Hong Kong stuff. So, and Sam Lee is mostly coked out of his mind throughout the entire movie.
0: Throughout his entire life, too.
1: Ah, why are you putting down Sam Lee? You don't know anything about Sam Lee.
0: I like Sam Lee.
1: So, I mean, he's a nice kid, damn it.
0: What was the name of that uh, zombie movie he was in? Biozombie. Biozombie. He had that great line, and it, you're like the king of
1: balls. <laughs> I don't even remember that line. Wow.
0: <laughs> that is, uh, it might be just in the US dub, which is what I saw, so.
1: Yeah, right, I, I'd forgotten about that. That, that was the year after Assembly started to uh, become a little bit more of a comedic presence. Then did, did Gen X cops and Gen Y cops, and probably had a scene or two with Rudd in Gen Y cops. So,
0: and Beast Cops,
1: he's in Beast Cops, that's right. So, uh, acted alongside Michael Wong and Anthony Wong. So, mm. good stretch long there. Wong
0: connection, boy. God bless America. I wish I could see.
1: And yeah, he's uh, yeah, he has a scene or two with Rudd in uh, Gen Y cops. So, so uh, it's <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was peak Paul Rudd right there.
1: Well, he's happy to talk about it whenever he uh, talks about it. He's, uh, pe- people, pe- maybe I'll cut this out, but fuck it. Pe- people have a tendency to think that Paul Rudd hates talking about Gen Y cops, but I think people don't understand his sense of humor sometimes. That he's, he's, yeah. He has a way of like... Well, I did a Hong Kong movie once, and no one spoke English. And here I come, and they bleach my hair. And he talks about it like he loved that experience, man. Because w- when they brought out these guys for the Ant-Man and the Wasp Hong Kong uh, promotional tour, they yeah. had little taped video messages from Stephen Fung and Sam Lee. And w- what did Paul Rudd do as soon as he saw Sam on screen? Like open his arms and said, "Sam!" <laughs> Fuck, can't we get him in the Avengers or what? Yeah, uh, as what? <laughs> <laughs> Public toilet, man. <laughs>
0: Hell yeah. Bylane could give him some like pointers on how to
1: really get into the role. Avengers butt game. <laughs> Which is already a porno, I'm sure, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this, this podcast has really went places.
1: Well, we're going to round off uh, everything here, finish everything off, but as for availability of dumplings, uh, there are cheap DVD options out there for the uh, compilation of shorts uh, as uh, Free Extremes. It's on... uh uh, it's on uh, both US and UK uh, uh, DVD. If you go to Amazon Marketplace, you'll find free extremes and therefore the short dumplings. Uh, I don't think Dumplings got a US DVD release as the feature, but an affordable one is available in the UK from Tartan. So you can get uh, the full dumplings uh, on a DVD from the UK. So that should be all good. Uh, for all your podcast fine network needs, if you want to check out uh, this week in on uh, on our site, we have a huge back catalog of... Uh, uh, largely questionable stuff. This time we try to do something more classy. Maybe it's still questionable in your eyes but uh, eyes and ears, but uh, that's what we do and that's what we did. This weekend's in Sleaze on Temptation of a Monk and Dumplings. Check us out on podcastonfire.com and any relevant uh, links to the show will be available in the show post. Find and subscribe to us on uh, iTunes and stream us on Stitcher, Radio and Spotify and all that good stuff. So let's stop the fucking... If you And if you want to send your friends screaming and running for the hills... Double bill dumplings with another with another human meat buns classic, the untold story. Like if we hadn't done the untold story already, that that would have been the double bill for this episode: the untold story and dumplings in one <laughs> cannibalism galore. Mm, yummy. So uh, that's uh, that's ourself for this episode. Sleezy K signing off. And the great Lord Joshua Regal, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Bye. I want your DVD of public toilet, Ken. No.